0: Well, good morning. Let's start with a question. How many and you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have made a, a New Year's resolution? And you can just kinda answer that I haven't, and I'll tell you why I haven't, uh, made a New Year's resolution. Uh, so I know probably many of you have made a, a New Year's resolution, and uh, I didn't do this to the first service, but I will, I will do it to you guys, and I'll give you the statistic on failed New Year's resolutions. The fa- <laughs> I want to be honest with you, so we'll just start and be honest with each other. The, the failure rate is at least 60%. So one half of us who make a New Year's resolution will fail, most likely by February. Um, So by February, you can be done with the whole resolution thing. And the reason I I bring it up, I don't have a real problem with with resolutions or uh, goals or or setting a a marker for us. But what I think across the board we have, uh, as people in general these days, is that we have a commitment problem. Well, we have a problem committing to things, particularly uh, good, healthy things. Um, And I'm Reminded of what Jesus says, and he's not talking directly about commitment. Uh, but he does address uh, our oath, and he does address our, our yes being yes and our no being no. And he does this in, in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's in Matthew 5, and I, I don't have the scripture ready for you because uh, it just came to me as I was thinking between services. that Jesus does address this. And he simply is saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that's a commitment issue. And that was a commitment issue for them because a lot of people were making oaths that they were not honoring. A lot of people were making statements that they were not holding up their end of the bargain on. So he feels the need to address this. So if you know anything about the Sermon on the Mount, in in the midst of this sermon, he is addressing some very, very serious issues. He's addressing issues like adultery. He's addressing issues like divorce. He's addressing issues like murder. And in the midst of these very serious issues, divorce, adultery, and murder, Jesus feels the need to address people honoring their word. Isn't that weird? That they had such a problem honoring their word, such a problem with keeping their word, such a problem with commitment that he would mention it amongst these very, very, very serious subjects. And when you see something like that that kind of stands out as you're reading through the scripture, we should really take note of like, wow. Jesus took the time to address this. So I just repeat that we have a commitment problem. And I really didn't need the statistics to tell you that we have a commitment problem. It's it's a nice visual. It's a nice number. You understand that probably someone in your household, based on that 60%, someone in your household is not going to keep their resolution. But all I have to do is start going through a list of things that we've committed to throughout the years quite possibly at the beginning of the new year, and I will find something somewhere that we have probably failed to keep up on. And the first thing that comes to my mind is we say, we're going to read the Bible in a year, right? That's a very nice goal. It's an important goal. We should be reading Scripture daily. And sometimes we make the statement, well, I'm going to read through uh, the Bible in a year. And most of our Bibles have the yearly reading plan inside of them. And what happens is, We still don't know what the third book of the Bible is. We get through the first two, and something happens, and we're left wondering, what's the third book of the Bible? You get caught up, and one day you skip your reading plan, and that flows into two days, and then it flows into three days, and you just don't get back into the habit. And you've broken your resolution, but what you've really done is you failed to honor the commitment that you said. The same thing goes with our devotion. We start the, a, a book at the beginning of the year. We start a devotion at the beginning of the year, and the same thing happens. One day, something comes up, and we don't write in our devotion. We don't write in our journal, and then it snowballs, and the next day comes up. And if you're like me, I've got a shelf dedicated in my library, to half-finished devotions. It's an entire shelf. Every year, this, oh, this sounds great. And uh, they last till about February. No commitment. Or you commit to the financial peace plan, right? You say, this is the year that I'm going to really get out of debt. This is the year that I'm really going to stick to the envelope system. And you start strong and then something happens. You need new tires on the car. Something breaks down in the house. And you end up having to go into the envelopes a little bit more than you thought. You start shuffling around the money. And you eventually, you stop the commitment that you made to work that system. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. You start the workout plan. You start the nutrition plan. You start the diet plan, right? That's why gyms are full of memberships in January, and they're absolutely empty in February. Gyms love us in January. All they do. They make their money right there. And it's nice because in February, it's just back to normal, isn't it? There's room everywhere. But all of this is the highlight That we have an absolute commitment problem. And what's weird about us as a people is that we have a problem committing to good things, but sometimes we don't have a problem committing to bad things. Bad habits. Addiction. Bad relationships. And maybe more than anything, just good old-fashioned bad thinking, right? Sometimes all these other problems flow out of a commitment to bad thinking, a commitment to negative thoughts, a commitment to disbelief, a commitment to not believing what is possible. But I just want to continue to highlight there, we've, we sometimes have commitment problems. And there's three things I want to talk to you today about, three areas that seem to come up in the life of believers, in the life of churchgoers, in the life of, of Christians, life of attendees. And these are just the big three and it doesn't mean that there are big three in your life. This is just what I've kind of observed um, in years of, of attending church and leading people. Three big, big areas that we struggle with. Giving, serving, and attending. Giving, serving, and attending. And a lot of times we do start the new year off saying, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to, to give this year. I'm going to give my, my full tithe. I'm going to give my full tenth. I'm going to start giving this year. Or I'm, I'm really going to start serving this year. I'm going to find an area and I'm going to hop right in. And I'm just going to be committed to that. Or this is the year that I'm, I'm, I'm going to church every Sunday. And my entire family is going to church. And I'm going to get connected to a small group. And I'm going to get connected to a Bible study. And we make all these promises at the beginning of the year. And they sound wonderful. Particularly in these three areas of Giving, serving, and attending. And then something happens and we don't honor our commitment. So I want to start, let's go with the uncomfortable one. Let's talk about giving. Giving, folks, when I bring up giving, it's not necessarily your money I'm talking about. Okay? I'm talking about a commitment to trust God. Okay? If you think I'm just talking about your money and I'm just interested in your money, you're wrong. I'm interested in a commitment to trusting God. Here's what he says in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe, that's the whole whole tenth, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven... And pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Wow. Who wouldn't want to commit to that? Who wouldn't want to commit to having so much blessing that there wouldn't be enough room to store it? First of all, God's saying, try me. God's saying, try me out. Test me and see if this won't be true in your life. Man. What a wonderful opportunity to say, you know what, God, I'm going to test. I'm going to trust. I'm going to commit to doing this. Okay? So he says, commit to doing this. Trust me. And commitment and trust work hand in hand. Those of us that are in relationships and we're married, commitment and trust, those things go hand in hand hand and that's what's God saying in his relationship between you and him commitment and trust go hand in hand and if I'm really trusting God if I'm trusting him with all the big things in my life my eternal destiny my salvation then I should be trusting him with this I should make a commitment to trusting him right here with this now I want to talk about the floodgates here's where it gets really really interesting When he says he's going to open the floodgates of heaven, that is literally what that means. He's going to open the very same floodgates that he opened up to flood the earth. So God is saying, trust me in this. Make a commitment to me in this so that I may flood you with a blessing. You need to get that. God wants to flood us with a blessing. and It doesn't mean that you give him 10% and he gives you a 12% return. That's not how it works. God's going to bless us in ways we never could possibly think of, dream of, or imagine if you trust him. He's going to pour out so much blessing. Not only will you not be able to contain it, you're not going to believe how much blessing he wants to pour out. But he wants to flood you with a blessing. Now me, I like the sounds of that. I really like the sounds of being flooded with a blessing. I know it's hard. It's a commitment to trust. I know it doesn't add up sometimes. It doesn't make sense sometimes. And I sat there myself and said, I don't understand why I would give God a tenth of my money. Well, first of all, I had to come to the realization that it wasn't my money. It was his. And everything that I had was a gift from him. Everything that I had was already a blessing from him. But it really challenged me, the word trust me. And I remember the day me and my wife entered into that committed relationship to trust God with our tithe. Sure enough, we got home and the AC was out. And I said, oh, I knew this was a bad idea. This was April, it was starting to get hot. I'm like, oh, I knew this was a horrible, horrible idea. And that's literally what I said. My commitment lasted about uh, six hours. But we figured it out. And we figured it out every month ever since. And there's not been a single month that's gone by where I've regretted honoring and trusting God and committing to him. I've never regretted it. It's the big number one. Big number two is serving. Serving. Now, I want you to understand, do not get confused. Just because you give does not get you out of serving. Okay? Do not think that the giving gets you out of serving. And do not think that the serving gets you out of giving. That's not how it works. All of these things are part of the overflow of our walk and our love for Christ. Okay? It's not pick and choose here, right, which ones we want to do. Talk about the serving. Mark ten forty-five. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying one of my very, very sole purposes of being here is to serve, to serve as a ransom, as an exchange, right, as a covering for us. He comes to serve. Now, I want you to, I want you to hear this. This is important. You can serve and not love, right? You can do things out of obligation and you're serving, but you're not loving right but you we us we cannot cling to love but not serve that is not Christ like we cannot cling to love God and love Christ and not find ourselves serving somehow okay you cannot love and not serve and I don't want to cover all of the ways that Jesus served, but if you were to go through his ministry, you would see preaching, you would see teaching, you would see fellowship, you would see encouragement, you would see healing, you would see feeding, okay? Jesus served in many ways, which is to say, Jesus did not serve in just one area, and we should get that thought process out of our head. That, oh, I serve in one area, I serve in my gifted area, I serve in my wheelhouse area, okay? Okay? Jesus served in more than one area, and so can we. If we are to enter into becoming more and more like Christ, we will find ourselves serving more and more. And we will continue to look at this verse, that he came to serve and not be served. When I talk about commitment and I talk about our serving, so I want you to find that one area, and some of you are already involved in that one area, And I want you to go to the leader of that ministry area, and I want you to reaffirm your commitment to them and to that area. That one area that you're already involved in, whatever it is, what I want you to do is I want you to go to that leader. One, they're counting on you. Okay? Our leaders count on their volunteers. And I want you to commit to them. So you know what? I commit a year to you. I commit two years to you. I commit six months to you. I commit to serving in your ministry. One that's going to get us in the habit of committing. It is no longer just a thought. It is words being put to action. And we need to learn to put thoughts and words into action. We do really good at thoughts. We do really good at words. But we need to take thoughts and words and we need to put them into action. And by going to those leaders, you're committing to them. You're practicing the habit of committing. The second thing that's really nice about that is you're entering into an accountability situation. And we need to be held accountable for a lot of things in our life. But first and foremost, we should be held accountable to the things that we commit to. Okay, accountability is a good thing. We tend to shy away from that. Accountability is a good thing. Being held accountable for our serving is a good thing. And because I know we have a lot of spare time on our hands, I want you to find one other area somewhere. In this church, in a parachurch organization like the Cleft, Bridges of Hope, I want you to find some other area, maybe in your neighborhood, your community, your kids' schools, find one other area And commit to serving there. And I don't want you to overthink this one like, oh, where does God want me to serve? God is more concerned about what he's going to do with you once you get there than what area you happen to choose. Okay? Don't overthink it. Just kind of hop in and pick one. Okay? And commit to it. Okay? Again, we're practicing the habit of committing. It may get you out of your comfort zone a little bit. But I always have trouble with the word comfort standing behind or in front of a cross. He was certainly not comfortable. And yet he was committed to that discomfort. There's giving, there's serving. And really the big one for me is the attending. Uh, The attending uh, is huge. It's all about the gathering. It's not about attending and coming in here on a Sunday morning. It's about more than that. Uh, And don't think that serving gets you out of attending. I've seen that happen a lot. I see it happen an awful lot, where not necessarily here, but where someone serves, and they think that gets them off the hook for attending. And those are two very different things. Serving uh, is very different than coming together, a body of believers, a body of like-minded individuals, a body of seekers. It's a big difference between serving and attending. Hebrews 10.25 tells us this, not giving up meeting together. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The day, the author, most likely Paul, is talking about is the the return of Christ. And he's saying, don't give up getting together, as some are already in the habit of doing. See, some, some had already started skipping out on it already. That didn't take very long, did it? It didn't take very long for them to start skipping out on the meetings together, of gathering together. And he's saying, hey, this is important because the time is coming soon. And the time is coming soon. We don't know, but it's, it's coming soon. And all the more reason we should be together, we should be together and encouraging one another. And see, that's an act of closeness. Much like iron sharpening iron. That can only happen in proximity, right? Iron cannot sharpen iron from a distance. It has to be close. There has to be a proximity. And a lot of the same thing goes with encouragement. Encouragement is so much better in close proximity. Encouragement is so much better together, right? I don't find myself very encouraged by the random text message. I find myself a little bit more encouraged by the person in my face saying, come on, let's go, let's get this done, let's get to work, let's do something. And I think that a lot of us are like that. We need that face-to-face fellowship, that face-to-face accountability, and that face-to-face encouragement. That is one of the biggest reasons for this gathering. We should walk out of this gathering kind of excited, jazzed up, feeling fed, not necessarily just by the word, but by each other. And our job here is to encourage each other, is to push one another forward, to spur one another on. That is a part of the reason for the gathering, and possibly Paul is saying that right here. You gather together, to give one another encouragement, right? You gather together so you have strength throughout the week, right? Because two are better than one. you either committed to attend or you're not. It's pretty simple. There's no real middle ground to that. Committed to attend, it's like you're committed to serve, you're committed to give, or you're not. And I know as a, as a young Christian, I was not or a seeker. I was not committed to attend. I just wasn't. When it was convenient, when I felt like it, I would attend. And then finally, just the light goes off in my head and I become committed to attend. And here's the thing about committing to something. When you commit to something over and over and over again, it becomes a healthy habit. And you don't have to think about it anymore. Just like I don't think about writing that tithe check anymore, right? Because it's just become a healthy habit. I don't think about it. I simply do it. And attending church became the much the same way. I didn't have to get up on Sunday morning and think about it. It just became something that we did. We were committed to it. And the more and more we became committed to it, the easier and easier it became to do it. And that goes along with anything you want to do, right? If you want to be committed to something, you continuously do it over and over and over again. And you ignore the obstacles, you block them out, and you continue to do it over and over and over again. That's what commitment is. Now, funny thing about the word attend. How you attend is up to you. Are you going to lowercase letter attend? Or are you going to capital letter attend? You know what I mean? Anybody can attend. But are you really attending? Okay? Are you really here? Are you really engaged? Are you really present? Or are you just kind of here? You're attending. See, Jesus wants us to do much, much more than just attend. He wants us to be active. He wants us to be engaged. He wants us to be paying attention. He wants us to truly, truly attend. It's kind of like going to a fourth grade choir concert. Any of you have to go to fourth grade choir concerts? Yeah. I simply attend fourth grade choir concerts which is to say I am just there. I am not engaged. I don't like them. I'll admit it. A uh, bunch of seven-year-old singing does not jazz me up. It does not excite me. If I can find a good reason not to go, I don't go. Um, luckily for me, I was on a mission trip the last time. I had a really great excuse uh, not to be there. Um, nothing you can argue with that, right? I'm, I'm not even in the same state. But we, we kind of do that, right? We have these things we, we kind of... Attend, we don't really attend, right? We're just kind of there. We're not really engaged. Uh, We're out of our, you know, we're out of our element. So, my, my encouragement to you is to really attend, really get to know the people around you. I think that was the whole point of the sit somewhere else Sunday, is to really engage, really get to know one another. Because if you're not engaged and you don't know one another, then how do we know in what areas they need encouragement? We're just flying blindly. If we're not really involved in someone's life, if we don't really know what's going on with them, it's hard to encourage them in the areas they need encouragement with. And we only get that information by coming in here and truly, truly attending. So we have to look at how we are attending. And it's more than this right here. This is just kind of the start. This one-hour one and a half hours that we're here together. It's just the beginning of it all. Do you think that Jesus only intended for us to be together an hour and a half a week? I can't say I wasn't there. But I'm willing to guess from what I know, what I can read, what I can gather. Jesus did not intend for us to spend just an hour a week together. I think he wanted us to be a little bit more involved in that. He wanted us to spend a little bit more time together. I want to give you some statistics that talk about how important this is right here. Because you are important. You are important to somebody. You may be important to somebody you haven't met yet. There may be somebody that's going to come in here, and you are going to be important to them. They may walk in these doors, and they're not necessarily looking for God. They may not be looking for Jesus. What they're looking for is safety. What they're looking for is acceptance. What they're looking for is a safe place to figure it all out. That is what this can do. Here's the first statistic I want to show. 40% of the success rate in overcoming a life struggle is based on the quality of relationships. 40% of someone's success rate in overcoming a life struggle is based on the quality of their relationships. What's that saying is, You can have the absolute best therapist, best counselor in the world. You can be on just the right medication. You can have all of that stuff worked out, right? You're making your your appointments, you're going, you're seeing, you're talking. But 40% of that person's success is based on their outside relationships. That's a staggering number. Someone in recovery, someone going through a hardship, someone going through a divorce, someone going through a rough time, 40% of their success through that situation is based on their outside relationships. 40% right here, folks. We are 40% of someone's success in a struggle. We are 40% of someone's success in a bad time. That is what Jesus wants us to be. That is is why we gather together. We are better together. Second thing, if the church operates as the community that God designed and its members demonstrate the desire to understand one another in a way that builds trust, the relationship within the church will have achieved 70% of what is necessary for a successful helping relationship. When the church is committed to acting as the body of Christ, when the church is committed to the community that God intended, 70% of what that person needs is present. The rest is all on the outside. The numbers just keep going up and up and up. When we commit to each other, When we commit to getting together, when we commit to the gatherings, when we commit to living out the life of Christ, when we commit to community, when we commit to God's will, we are 70% of what someone needs for success. My goodness. Is it no wonder that Jesus said, I come to build an assembly? The word is not church that he uses, that is a poor translation. The word is assembly. It is gathering. Jesus came to establish something special. Something that was healing. Something that was therapeutic. This right here, when it operates as God intended, is what Jesus wants. He wants us to be the church. Not just attend the church. The church, this is important to hear. Mm. The church is the kind of community that the counseling profession would try to create if it thought such a powerful reality could exist. Which is to say, they've lost confidence in us. The therapeutic community has lost confidence in us to be exactly what we need to be. The therapeutic community is saying, if they really thought this would work, they would try to replicate it. If the therapeutic community really had confidence in us, they would try to replicate this because of those exact statistics, because of the 40%, because of the 70%. And the only reason they're not trying to replicate us is because they don't believe it'll work. It is our job to prove them wrong. It is our job to show them that the gathering is still what Christ intended. That the gathering is still changing lives. That the gathering is still making a difference. That healing, acceptance, and recovery are found here inside the gathering of Christ-like individuals. Here's, Here's a neat thing. And I believe this to be true. You can walk into a church and let's say they have a meal. You can walk into the church and the meal be lousy. You can walk into church... And the music be horrible. You can walk in the church and the pastor not be very good. But you were better for having gathered together. All other things being bad. The food, the coffee. You guys got good coffee. Right? You all got great music. You guys got great pastors. All those things could be poor, but if this functions the way it's supposed to, you are better off for having gotten up and come to church in the morning. Think about that. That's powerful stuff right there. We are meant to exist in a giving community. We are meant to exist in a serving community. We are meant to exist in a gathering community. And we are meant to exist in a committed community. We are meant to exist in these things. In a giving community, in a serving community, in a gathering community, and a committed community. We are meant to exist. I said at another church recently, and I said it very strongly, I won't say it as strongly here, but I said I expect the church to be three things. I expect them to be serving, I expect them to be giving, and I expect them to be loving. And that was just kind of my expectation. If you ask me, Pastor, what do you think a church should be? I would say, I think it should be giving. I think it should be serving, and I think it should be loving. And the best way to love someone is to be in proximity with them. Very hard to love someone from a distance. It requires closeness. And in a very unique way, these concepts of serving and giving And loving and commitment. They point us to the table. These concepts point us to the Lord's table, where we meet the one who gave his life for us, where we meet the one who came to serve, where we meet the one who committed himself to the path to the cross. We meet that person at the table. So as we prepare our hearts to receive the elements of communion, let us reflect on those things. First and foremost, let us reflect upon giving, serving, loving, and gathering in our lives. And let us reflect on them in the life of Christ. Giving, serving, Loving, committed community. We'll have the attendees come to the Lord's table. And we know that in in a way that we can't always understand, in a way that we can't always explain, we know that he is present with us. So as you prepare your hearts, for the elements as you prepare your hearts, maybe to come to the altar. I want you to think about how these three things play out in your life and what they could look like in your life over the next year and in the life of the church over the next year. Serving, giving, gathering, committing. Well, Father, we are so thankful For the one who came to serve us. God. And he showed us exactly how to do that. Humility. And God, we're thankful for the one who came to love us. And he showed us exactly how to do that. Laying down his life for us. Father, we're thankful for the examples he gave us of community. Of fellowship, of gathering together. And today we come together and we gather together at his table. He is present and we are there as well, Father, and we thank you for that. We thank you for this ongoing commitment to gather together and receive our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we know that you are Lord over these elements. God, what we do, we do to honor you, we do to recognize you, we do to remember our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen.